Hi, Teaching Plus listeners. This is Ellen Watson, Senior Educational Developer with the Center for Teaching and Learning at the University of Alberta. Today, I'm joined by my co-host, Jordan Long, Instructional Designer with the Center for Teaching and Learning at the University of Alberta. Today, we are speaking with Dr. Jose Bowen. Dr. Bowen has acted in many roles in his professional life. He has been a professor, a dean, a president of a university, and now runs his own company, Bowen Innovation Group where he does innovation, leadership, pedagogy, and consulting and training in both higher education and for Fortune 500 companies in the healthcare, energy, automotive, and telecom sectors. He has written works featured in a number of popular venues, including the New York Times, Forbes, the Wall Street Journal, the Chronicle of Higher Education, Newsweek, and PBS NewsHour. Dr. Bowen was given a Stanford Centennial Award for undergraduate teaching in 1990 and has presented hundreds of keynotes and workshops around the world, one of which was given at the University of Alberta's 2018 Festival of Teaching and Learning. In this episode of the podcast, we learned from Dr. Bowen a plethora of tangible and relatively simple ways to make an online course great. As Dr. Bowen has been a university administrator for 20 years, he also provided us with some very interesting insights into what the future might hold for learning institutions like ours in a post or endemic COVID-19 world. He talks about creating an e-communication policy, the globalization of post-secondary education, teaching online as being more about explaining the relevancy of course content rather than explaining the content itself, and how to encourage your students to do intellectual push-ups. We now bring you Dr. Jose Bowen. So, Dr. Bowen, welcome to the Teaching Plus podcast. We're happy to have you here. It's been uh, more than two years since we last had the opportunity to learn from you, uh, where you came to the U of A's 2018 Festival of Teaching and Learning. Uh, And a lot has changed since then. Uh, Ellen and I learned a lot from you that day, and we're hoping we have uh, a lot more to learn from you today. So, uh, we will have properly introduced you in the preamble of today's episode, but why don't you start us off by telling us What's been going on with you uh, as a teaching and learning guru since we last spoke in 2018? <laughs> uh, guru, that makes me sound like I'm sitting cross-legged someplace. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I spent 20 years as an administrator and decided that um, what I'd had enough uh, and, and wanted to be back in the classroom. Um, so I've had an interesting experience. I've been doing a lot of teaching in the corporate world, as well as in business schools, and as, as well as my, the work I do with, with colleges and faculty. Um, so I'm actually teaching a lot, and it's great. So I'm, I'm pretty happy doing that. We're living in Dallas again. And, uh, uh, and then all of a sudden, this COVID, we chose Dallas in part because of the airports and the you know, easy access to things. And because um, last year, I, so I did 100,000 miles last year. I went around the world three times. Um, and, you know, I haven't been on a plane in eight months. Great. Yeah, it really forces you to slow down when you can't really travel much. With the exception of work, I'm sure. Or, or, yeah, or it gives you more time to do podcasts and webinars and other sorts of things. But no, in, in general, it's, it's, been a, it's been a very good thing. And my commute to, to Paris this morning was three minutes down the stairs. Uh, <laughs> I had to get up early because it was, of course, after the afternoon there. But um, but it does change the audience. And certainly in the last eight months, um, you know, I've been planning. You know, I've, I've just finished a book on the three R's on relationships, resilience and reflection. Um, that was also going to include nudges, but that got too long. So now nudges is another book, which is about halfway done. Uh, and then I was going to write a book on inclusive teaching. And then the COVID thing happened. 
Um, and so in some ways, all of the things I was talking about in, in inclusive teaching are, are all the more relevant because all of the anxiety and political divides and all of, all of that has become um, more relevant. And so I've been thinking about all those things and trying to apply what I think of as generally good pedagogy uh, to our new situation where we're mostly teaching remote. So what would be an example of that inclusive teaching aspect that can be applied and how is it different online or teaching remotely than it would be in the classroom? So let me start by 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 making the clear distinction that emergency remote teaching is not the same as online teaching because um, Thank you. you know basically online online teaching is like Star Wars the movie, right? It has lots of potential, it has special effects, technology all and man you're excited to go see Star Wars the movie. Um, but instead, it's like we're gonna you're gonna go see Star Wars the play, <laughs> and, and that's just not the same, right? Okay, you know you can do, but it's just not the same thing. And so, uh, most of us were were inexperienced at this, uh, you know, just getting to use the technology. But mostly, places are not um, right; they're not using the benefits of online technology partly because they can't, right? So. So the so one of the one of the practices that I talk about well sir, let's start with communication that's the most important right um, using your LMS having stuff in one place that students can find uh, you know I we've been talking for um, twelve years now about having an e communication policy <laughs> right um, which is not just office hours but how do you get me and it's not just that I have virtual office hours that might be a part of it so I might have a Google Hangout or et cetera. Um, but having a policy which explains to people when you can get to me and where and how. So I answer email on weekends. I don't answer email. I answer emails within an hour during the week. I'm better in the morning, right? Give, right, you know how you deal with life. <laughs> Give people some guidelines. You know, I will answer email within 24 hours unless you send it on the weekend and it might be 48. Um, you, you can friend me on Facebook. I do chat. I don't do chat. I, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, you know, I'd rather have a conference with you and have a Zoom meeting face to face. So send me a text. I mean, whatever it is, right? There are lots and lots of examples. Um, but but the, but the need to communicate to students how to reach you, how you communicate, has always been there, and now it's just exploded, right? The students are more anxious. They're not seeing it. They're not making friends. They have all those other problems. So they need to know that you care. That has become ever more critical as people are isolated. Um, you're not seeing them in class. So that's just a, that's a generally good practice that I think gets amplified. Another example is learning students' names. Right? Okay, well, everybody's name is on Zoom, so make sure that you put your pronouns, what name you want. Is it just the first name? Uh, right? You should be able to. And, and so you've got the names there. Use them, right? Just, just articulating somebody's name increases attention. Um, we used to show up early for class when my, you know, old advice, you know, show up early for class, stay late, be there, you know, greet people at the door and say, hey, I'm really excited to have you in class today. How are you? Shake their hands. Okay, can't do that anymore. But, right, you could show up in your Zoom meeting early and tell students, I'll, I show up five minutes early, we take a break, or, you know, I'll be here after class, I'm going to hang out for 10 minutes. So I routinely have students who will hang out after Zoom, right? It's just like after class and say, yeah, you know, I was, I was thinking about something you said yesterday. Can I ask you a question? It's like, yes. And somebody else will say, oh, do you mind if I listen in? It's not a private thing. I said, is it not, right? We actually have these little <clears throat> hallway discussions at the end of Zoom classes. So 
those are all examples of things that I would have said are important. You know, relationships are important. Showing that you care is important. Clear communication, personal messages, um, reminders. Uh, all those things are important, and they all just got way more important uh, during this time of isolation. Yeah, I, I really like your point of having a hallway conversation, and I've heard from a lot of instructors that that is what they're missing, right, is those hallway conversations. So, you know, one instructor I talked to, she's created a space online called Hallway Chat for the, her, her students to go. But uh, if we can if we can make those spaces on Zoom, that can make all the difference. Yeah, and and I think you know, I, again, it's it's like the virtual office hours. It's and and again, you know, there doesn't have to be Zoom, but but now that we're all using Zoom, you might as you might as well. And so I think just hanging hanging out literally uh, and giving people the link, um, and and I think you know you can do triage. You have the chat. You have other kinds of things you can say. If you need a private conversation, let me know. But if you don't need a private conversation, it's often better to talk to two or three students at once. Um, you know, in a sense, what we're trying to do is recreate the randomness of the physical experience, right? Because there is, whether you're in the library or walking across campus or in the dining hall um, or in the parking lot, right, where a lot of conversations happen, right, there's a randomness to that. You just bump into people. So that's not happening. So I think we have to take an extra step to say, I need to create a space for those other random conversations. Uh, but I also, I'm, I'm real, I really do think that um, you know, again, especially if your campus has VoIP, you know, voice over IP, and you don't have to give out your personal cell phone, that, that you know, your office, you no know, one's in your office anyway, right? And and so most of our campuses now have a way that, uh, you know, use VoIP, so you use it on your computer. Um, so I give students that office number and say, I'm, you know, in my computer, uh, my laptop office, you know, late afternoons is a good time to get me between four and five, uh, and we can talk. Um, and I've actually, you know, called some students and they're right. They're shocked and surprised. And I said, look, I, I don't have to take long. I was just calling to say hi and making sure you're OK. Do you have any questions about the assignment? Sure. But most I'm just calling to say, you know, I miss getting a chance to see you before class. And, and how are you? And that's actually a pedagogy. Right. Students learn more when they feel cared for. And that they feel like you're invested in their learning. They don't want to disappoint us. They want to do better. Uh, and so, so those those really are pedagogies of care, and and now more than ever is the time to use them. Jose, in 2018, and even now, I I I, I felt then, and I feel now an energy and, or, and an optimism from you as an instructor. And I think about if we're transitioning towards being more online, if that is actually the future of post secondary teaching and learning, uh, what do you foresee as being problematic, or on the flip side, as you say, uh, something that's favorable or interesting? Uh, for instructors to consider? So I, I do think there's going to be more online, but I think the way it's really going to manifest is that we're going to see more online competition, right? So we already have competition from social media and video games and all that, right? That, those are that's competition for screen time and eyeballs. Um, but we've actually seen the numbers just came out today. Uh, the for-profits actually saw more students this fall. It's, the, it's one of the few groups that actually saw more students. Uh, so there's a little bit of a recovery going on there. So um, we're also seeing the, the global campuses, you know, University of Maryland, Arizona, you know, Georgia, Texas, the big global campuses are also increasing. So these are places that have online, relatively cheap, uh, um, global education online and that, that are not for-profit, they're state institutions. Um, 
they've gotten a lot bigger. There've been some acquisitions of for-profits by not-for-profits. So, so, so that's, that's going to become the largest sector of the market. And so those of us who charge students for a face-to-face experience are going to have to do uh, one of two things. One that I talked about you know, a long time ago, which is better face-to-face, right? But the other is, is making our online offerings more relational and communal. So it's going to be hard for most of us to say, we're going to offer a better online product, but we can offer a more local product. Um, most people who take online courses come within 50 miles. But for most of us, it means that, that we're going to offer things that are more convenient, asynchronous, but still local, but still communal. So that's one option. Another third option is that, uh, right, we should now be looking for partners with international universities, right? If you're going to be online in a, in a discussion group, um, I don't want to talk to just people from my town. I want to talk to people from around the world. Uh, you know, I taught this morning. I had people from all over the world uh, in this seminar that was headquartered in Paris. I had people from Iraq asking questions and Russia asking questions. And wow, that changes the discussion. And we couldn't have done that face to face. We would not have all traveled to do this one hour webinar. Um, so there's an opportunity to make things more global, but also to make things more communal. So I, you know, what we sometimes call globalization. It's a, you know, a jargony word, but, but I do think the idea that we're going to have to customize our offerings. The, the goal is not to come up with the world's best calculus course. Uh, the goal is to come up with a course that will build community in some way, whether it's local or online, uh, that will deliver a unique product for our students. And you're more likely to know who your local students are than the other big problem, of course, is going to be the digital divide. And so that, you know, that that is that is a problem that has certainly affected the rest of the world more. But even in the West and in the U.S., we have this this is very, very real uh, lack of broadband. And so um, for places that want to think about equity, uh, this is going to be the primary charge is figuring out how, how do we make sure that everybody has access. You said before that pedagogy is a design problem. Uh, can you tell us what you mean by that and how it can relate to teaching remotely? So when we do, um, when we talk to students about what teaching means, um, and they, you know, they talk about humor and authenticity and the, you know, deadlines, um, you can really sort those things into two categories. There's the human qualities and there's the design qualities. So students want a faculty who are authentic. Actually, humor is the number one word that, that students use to, to answer the question, what is good teaching? Um, but if you're not funny, don't try, right? It's just... You can't fake it. I mean, if right, if but that's what they want. But they want authentic, right? They want to know that you're you. And so, talking about your failings, your life, being a person, uh, you know, showing up early, saying hi, learning names, you know, those are all human characteristics. But the other is design problems, right? How integrated is this? Do things are they clear? Um, so, things that have always mattered that matter more during COVID: rubrics, feedback, structure. Uh, in fact, the surveys from the spring said that students had two big complaints about the spring. Um, the, this is the first semester they had all on, right? They, we pivoted to online. So they wanted more structure and they wanted more flexibility. <laughs> and, and so people think, well, that, yes, that, those are contradictory. And I think, no, they're not, right? They want more scaffolding, right? They want assignments broken down into smaller pieces, not just write a 30-page term paper. Um, they don't just want midterm and final. They want smaller assignments that count for less so they can get feedback. You know, my analogy for this is that the best teacher in the world is the tennis net. 
right? Not, not the coach standing there going, move your feet, move your arm. It's the tennis net because the tennis net gives you instant feedback and it's non-judgmental, right? The ball goes over. It doesn't go over. If the ball doesn't go over, you know you have to do something else, right? There's a problem you have to fix. You may not know what the solution is, but you at least you get feedback and it's instant, right? So sometimes the solution is here are 10 more balls. Try some more, right? Hit some more balls. That is the best way to learn by doing. You know, I've, I always say, you know, the one who does the work gets the benefit. You know, watching somebody else do push-ups is just not that useful, uh, even if they're intellectual push-ups, right? So sometimes you just, you have to give, so feedback is essential, but the grading and the judgment is not. So, so rubrics help because rubrics give me structure. They tell me that this matters 30% and that matters 10%. They give me models. This, this is actually how a, a good thesis looks and this is what a bad thesis looks like. Um, so structure can is maybe a better word is scaffolding, right? How do the pieces go together is really critical for students. So I think what we need now is to give students more scaffolding, more, sent, more, more checklists, more rubrics, more how do you do this? Where are you gonna encounter problems? And at the same time, you can give them more flexibility, which is if you get stuck, call me. If you get late on this, I will understand. And again, some of that is personal. The flexibility, I mean, it's partly structural, but it's also the sense that I will listen. I can't tell you how many times I have had students say to me or write to me an email, I was afraid to come to you and ask for an extension or to say I was confused because other professors have just gotten mad. And I think, who are these people? You're just getting mad? I'm confused and I need help. Oh, I explained it in class. What? So, so students have been, and you know, maybe they went to crappy high schools. So it's not your fault. But I suspect that there are still faculty out there who are discouraging students who come forward with a question and they get acculturated to thinking, oh, well, you know, I'm going to look stupid or, you know, somebody's not going to. So you, I think we have to go overboard to say, I will be flexible. This is a hard time. I know everybody's struggling. I care about your learning. Um, that may be enough. They may never come to you, but you've made it, you, you've put it out there. So very specifically, one of the things I've, I've been working on is, in, so in the new book, that my new three R's book, uh, there's a section on study scaffolding um, and, and how to get students to study more. And, and actually more articulately, how to get them to study better. Um, because sometimes more is not better. So for years, I've been thinking, well, you know, don't highlight you know, all the kinds of tricks and things that, you know, there are some things that work better than others. Um, but what you have to do is help, let students decide how they're going to study. So I have, a, I have a template on my website. It's for free. It's before the book. You can get it at teachingnaked.com. Um, and so I give it to students every week now, especially during this pandemic. I wasn't actually going to do that. Uh, I was going to do it assignment-based. But it turns out that on Monday, it's like, okay, what grade do you want? How are you doing? How many hours do you think you have to study this week? But most importantly, what are you going to do during those hours? You're going to study alone. You're going to go to the library. And that gives me the opportunity to say, hey, did you know there's a writing center? Hey, did you know that the math center is still having hours? Did you, did you know you could do this? Because I mean, students don't know what those things are, especially during COVID when they're at home. No, no, no. You can still schedule an appointment with the writing center for an hour. You can still do this. You can still get peer-to-peer -to, -peer to you know, whatever the services are. Um, and so I ask people, you, you need to customize it because not every class is the same, um, but give students some options, give them some information about what kinds of studying there are, and then have them schedule it. 
If you make a schedule, you increase the probability that you're going to do the thing by nine times, nine times. That's a huge effect, right? So when are you going to study? How are you going to study? Where are you going to study? So make students write. This takes five minutes, right? Tell me what you're going to do. How many hours are you going to study for an hour on Tuesday night? Where are you going to study? What are you going to do? In a group by yourself? You're going to reread the book? You're going to write? And then at the end of the week, I ask them again, well, how did it work? What adjustments would you make, right? Self, you know, do the push-ups, <laughs> figure out for yourself. So that's a scaffolding mechanism to help students figure out how do they manage their own learning. And students right now are craving more scaffolding, more structure. But I can still give them a lot of flexibility within that. I think that uh, scaffolding is extremely important, you know, for a multitude, multitude of reasons. You want to increase students' metacognition. You want to teach them not only to, how to learn, but to learn in a specific discipline. All of these things are important. What I mostly took from that, uh, Jose, was the that, that structure builds habits, right? It's the, it's the continued practice of some kind of exercise, both on the instructor's perspective and on the student, right? Um, and so if you, if you give them that kind of structure, but as you said, the flexibility to work within it, perhaps those habits can build. They can. In fact, you've hit on something. So in fact, one of the things that we've learned from, from flossing and succession and, and getting people to go to the gym is that there are really two primary mechanisms. One is habit, gets you to create a new habit, right? So if I pay you to go to the gym for the first three weeks and you don't already go to the gym, this works. If you already go to the gym, I just demotivate you. But if, you, if you've never been to the gym, that's one way that works. But the problem is you may not know what to wear. You have a perception that you wear the wrong clothes. So perceptions are the other way. And so scaffolding in the, of this kind of study skill also creates an opportunity for me to ha have a new perception, which is that, oh, you know, this took a long time. That didn't take very long. I actually studying in the library was more effective. I should do more of that. Right. That's a perception change. And so that you can actually change people's behavior when they realize that going to the gym is fun. It's not that hard. Uh, uh, you know, I, whatever. I mean, th so. So, so those are the two mechanisms to getting people to change habits and perception. And I think, you know, we have to use, but that's what the nudges book is about, is about those, the, the tools that we have for that. So in moving online, a question that I might have, and this is me also playing devil's advocate, hearing instructors say, I don't have time to teach this because I'm, I've got enough content in my course. Uh, in there, in moving online, are there strategies that you would suggest to instructors to mitigate that argument? Well, uh, let's, let's. It's just biology, right? It's 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 unless you unless you have a plan to to, to change evolution, um, humans have limited bandwidth. It's just that's just how we evolved, and and so we have lots of storage, but limited limited attention, a limited focus, limited bandwidth. So. When you're emo and, and and bandwidth is controlled by um, your emotions, right? So the, the analogy that I like is that you have your your you have a giant closet. Your brain is like a giant closet. It's it's huge, but it has no lighting. You have only a little tiny flashlight, and your flashlight is your attention. But the flashlight is guided by emotion, which is why engagement is so important. It's where you shine the flashlight. You can only look at one pair of shoes at once, right? That's just how it works. Um, so. When there's a crisis, to say nothing of an election, to say nothing of climate change, people are not going to learn as much, period. There's nothing that you can do as a faculty member to cram more content in 
the basic biology of the situation is very clear, right? It's just like when you're driving and trying to text at the same time, your driving is going to get worse. So the strategy is not, I need to figure out a way that I can text with left hand and I'll drive with the right, right? You know, I'll use one eye. I mean, there are no strategies. Your brain can only handle so much. So we need to recognize that both faculty and students are suffering from less bandwidth. So your students simply don't have as much as they had during a normal year. So you have to reduce the amount of content if you want to be effective, because otherwise all you're doing is just wasting everybody's time and uh, you're going to be frustrated. They're going to be frustrated um, because you just don't have the tools. Right. It's like saying to me, write an essay, but I'm taking away your pencil. But still write faster. I don't have a pencil. You know, I, I don't have the bandwidth. And so focus on the key challenges and as and encounters. Again, that before the COVID, this was this was good teaching, right? Focus on the things that matter most that you want students to know in five years, right? Things that motivate students to teach themselves the things uh, so they will go off and learn the things. Those have always been good pedagogy. Um, but right now, I think it's especially important to focus on what are the key experiences, the key challenges, because not only do low bandwidth means not only do I not have as much bandwidth to like learn as much stuff, remember as much stuff, it means I'm also sitting in front of a screen all day long, which is a lot less engaging when it's just your talking head. And I'm more likely to fall asleep. I'm more likely to zone out. I've got distractions. There's also Facebook. I mean, all I mean, right. I'm on a laptop. <laughs> I have other stuff I can do. So finding ways to be engaging more breakout groups, more discussions, uh, surveys, polls, real world problems, uh, vary the types of, in, of sessions that you do. Um, one of my other tricks is, right, Do you could do more asynchronous, right? Put, put that long video online. Don't make it too long because they won't watch it. Uh, but they might watch it at double speed, so there's something. But spend your live time with more interactive work. Your synchronous time should be question and answer. It should be breakout groups. It should be discussion. Um, and those should be small. So, so one technique, so a technique for somebody, let's say you have multiple sections of 30 people or 300 people, it doesn't matter what the number is, right? Don't meet nine, 10 and 11, you know, you know, synchronously with everybody. Put, put something online that's asynchronous, let people listen to it when they have the opportunity, that's providing flexibility. Uh, and then meet with smaller groups. You can have nine, 10 and 11, but let anybody show up uh, and have small group activities that actually matter because in some ways, synchronous is, is analogous to the face-to-face. -face. If I'm going to spend the time to show up now, I want it to be something that I can't watch later. I don't want to watch the recording. I, I mean, I could do that anyway. What are we doing now? And in order for that to be valuable for me, I have to, it has to be interactive. And when I have less bandwidth, it better be interactive or I'll zone out. Um, so, so the only advice I can say is that you remember you're teaching um, human beings. You're, you're not... You're not downloading information to computers. You're teaching human beings who have limits. And right now we have a lot of limits and it's not their fault. It's not, our, not anybody's fault. Speaking with other faculty on campus, those conversations about changing and making these changes and becoming more focused on what do students need and how do I meet their needs are happening more with this shift, with this pivot, because people are having to rethink their teaching and a lot are questioning, how do I make this community? How do I connect with my students? How do I support them at this time? So those conversations are out there. We just need to pull on this momentum. 
Absolutely. No, I think this is this is a crisis we we do we cannot waste. There is momentum, right? We have we have invested more in teaching in the last eight months as institutions than we ever have before. We have offered webinar webinars on pedagogy, on new technology, right? Faculty are open and trying new things. This is an amazing, amazing moment. So I, I think you're absolutely right that now is the time because partly we're being forced to, but also there, there are two different things going on in that conversation. One is empathy, right? This is hard. We have empathy for all. We have sympathy for ourselves, right? This is harder. My jokes aren't working. People aren't laughing, right? I don't, I'm not, right? But also I can tell the students like stuff is hard. They're not, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're having problems. I, you know, I can't, I can see that they're tired. I can see they don't have a place. They're in the bathroom, you know, there's empathy that's, that, 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 that's causing us to have that. But there's also a financial reality that, that really bites, which is that enrollment is down and that uh, it's not coming back. We may get a bump next year from the first year students who, who deferred for you. There may be a little bit of a bump, but there is a birth dearth. There is, there is a, a, the tiredness with the high cost, right? Our financial model is broken and we're having other costs. We have to spend money on masks and PPE and all that other stuff. There's no more money coming. In fact, most people think there's gonna be less money coming because the, as the economy you know, goes into deep depression, um, the government is going to have less money. So uh, we're going to be forced financially to think about other ways of doing this. Um, and, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. I do think now is a moment to say, let's capture this, this, this momentum and this innovation. But now is a really good time to say we have to change in bigger ways than we've changed before. Um, let's, let's throw some spaghetti against the wall. Let's come up with some new ideas. Um, but I, th I think it's pretty hard for anybody to think I'm, you know, I, in the very beginning of COVID, a colleague said to me, you know, I'm just giving my same one hour lectures and it seems to be going well. That was in March. <laughs> I don't think anybody thinks that any, right. I mean, it's, it's not going well anymore. Uh, so you're right. This is, this is, this is a time for change. And so I think, uh, I think tougher times or if you think this is bad, it's going to get worse. Uh, I think uh, more more to come of everything we're hearing from students, every new enrollment report that comes out says that, uh, again, parents don't have as much money. Students are worried. I mean, community college enrollment is way down. Two-year college enrollment is down, which is really unusual in a recession. Uh, but uh, so there's that. I'll make one other suggestion about uh, things that you can do. So if you've never done a short video, now is the time to do it. It doesn't have to be an asynchronous lecture, but just little videos, right? Students like to see your face. They like to know your care. So video feedback works. Hey, I read your paper, right? Instead of writing on it, just, you know, here I am talking about you. Uh, and, and, and to the class, you know, hey, I just posted a little two-minute video. I'm hoping everybody's working on the problem set. I hope, you know, you're reading Rousseau. I know, dead white man. I know, I know. But... This, this idea of virtue is kind of bizarre and I really like it and I hope you do too. See you Tuesday. I mean, right? People are craving communication and connection. And so even though that's one way and it's just, you know, a little canned video, um, now is the time to make some videos. And if you really, you know, want to do it, experiment with more asynchronous content, right? Talk about your content. That is providing more structure and more flexibility because you're providing a tool but I can watch it and pause it. I can go to the bathroom. I can watch it twice as fast. And the evidence is that students don't watch videos the way they listen to live lectures. 
in videos, they stop, they go back, they listen, they listen to you slowly, they skip over parts, right? They customize how they listen to the video. Um, most of us, like me, say the same thing, right? We talk with our hands, we say things over and over again, we say things four times. Ah, the third time I really got it right. Let me give you four more examples. And somebody saying, you know, I don't need four more examples. Okay, they'll skip that piece. And in class, they can't do that. So they can customize and personalize a video in a way that you can't. And it allows you to say, I'm going to give four more examples. And if you don't need any more examples, the next topic is this, and it's five minutes from now or whatever. Um, and so I, I think make, make some of your own content, at least experiment with that and put some stuff online. Uh, and I think you'll be surprised at both how fun it is uh, and how easy it is and, and how students will appreciate the fact that you gave them structure and flexibility. I want to thank uh, Jose for joining us today. Thanks so much for being part of this conversation. You're welcome. It was good. Um, and thank you to all of our Teaching Plus listeners for joining us today. Uh, don't forget, if you have any questions, concerns, or want to talk to any of our educational developers, please contact us at ctl at ualberta.ca. Thank you for listening to Teaching Plus. This Teaching Plus podcast is created by the University of Alberta Center for Teaching and Learning team. For more information on any of our services, please find us online at ctl.ualberta.ca. Until next time, keep tweaking your teaching.